There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, friends, to another r slash nuclear revenge video. Today we've got some crazy stories, and our first story of the day is I Poison the School Bully. A working-class boy's life changes forever when he gets a scholarship to a prestigious boarding school. His initial apprehension is surpassed by the reality of meeting his school bully, who shows him no mercy. Eventually, he decides to put a stop to it, but his efforts exceed his intentions, causing everything to spiral out of control. Guide me, O thou great Redeemer, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more, feed me till I want no more. On the rare occasion I hear this hymn, I'm taken right back to my school days. I went to a boarding school, and this was one of the hymns we sung in the chapel. I very much doubt that any of the other kids, nay, even the adults, really paid attention to the lyrics. But I did. They both resonated with and repulsed me. I know now the repulsion stemmed from my inner turmoil, my perceived deficiency. My parents had more in common with your average East Asian parent than most of the British population. They had big ambitions for me. We lived in a slum growing up, with both my parents working dead-end jobs, just to keep us on the breadline. They didn't want the same for me, so, come heck or high water, they were determined to ingrain in me a strong work ethic and devotion to study. From a very early age, they spent what free time they had teaching me to read, drilling as much of a book's contents into my head as much as possible. They had set their sights on a scholarship to a fee-paying school, and when it was time for me to move up to big school, they got their wish. To be honest, I didn't really want to go to such a school. I wanted to go to a normal school like the other kids, to be able to come home at the end of the day. I never would have dared to say that to them, though, because I knew they would have been furious, and that would lead to a smacking. So, with my heart in my throat, I got packed off to a school miles away from home, to be thrown into a lion's den surrounded by strange people. I was alone. I was an 11-year-old boy feeling desperately sad. And that first night in the boarding house, so much so that I wept silently in the dark. I approached the following day with greater jubilance, determined that if I was going to be stuck there, I may as well make the best of it. It was a mixed bag. I made a friend for life called James, son of a barrister. I found that I quite liked my science teacher, an old English eccentric who always wore slippers and did the Stan Laurel head scratch every time someone asked a question. On the flip side, it was also the day I met my bully, a lanky chap called Blackwood, a boxing fanatic with a mean right hook. Even now, I don't know why he latched onto me, but he did, and I became his favorite victim. The very first encounter was rather mild compared to what was to come. He merely tripped me over when I went to walk behind him in class. Everyone laughed and I pretended to be unfettered. Inside though, I had a deep pang of worry. I knew the moment was the start of something horrible and I was right. A couple of weeks into the first term and following what had mostly amounted to mere insults, 
There came a lunch when Blackwood confronted me on the school grounds. Now, James, bless him, had advised me in good faith that I should stand up to him for my own good. Neither of us knew about the bully's martial training. He said that if I didn't, the other boys might end up trying to run rings around me too. Blackwood walked up to me and got very close to my face, very intimidating, and started pushing me backwards, calling me all sorts of things. When challenged, though, I bit back and gave him a hard shove. Well, the silence was deafening. You could have cut the tension with a knife. What broke it was a fist that landed right on my nose, knocking me down and leaving me bloody. Then he lunged at me and followed up. James tried to step in and assist, but some of the other kids held him back, leaving me to have the snot beaten out of me. Much too late, Mr. Tyndall, the gymnasium teacher, eventually stepped in and pulled Blackwood off me. He sent him on his way and nonchalantly told me to get up and to get myself over to the nurse. James accompanied me and when I got there, I was shocked to look into the mirror of her office and see what a state my face was. At the time, I didn't quite take it all in because I was suffering from shock, but it was a bloody and blotchy mess. It stung a great deal, a little later on. Aside from James, the nurse was the only one to show a measure of sympathy. She was a matronly woman, and whilst she was patching me up, she pulled out a packet of custard creams and offered me and James a couple. The glint of warmth and familiarity I enjoyed in that moment meant that I never wanted to leave. I imagined idly, stupidly, a scenario where I could just spend the rest of the term in here with these two, eating custard creams. It would have been a fine old thing. Lady Reality came calling though, and I had to obey. The moment I dreaded most was the night. I would be stuck in a dark dormitory with my bully, away from the teachers, away from the nurse, and with only James as my right-hand man. After today, I knew that nobody else would come rushing to my assistance. My worst fears came true when, in the middle of the night, Blackwood and one of his obedient sidekicks dragged me out of the bed and through the school, ending up down in some apparently deserted basement area. In one of the rooms, there were three older boys standing in front of a fireplace. The room was a grubby thing, with bits of old furniture scattered around, gathering dust. That was the least of my worries. In one of the boys' hands was a branding iron. All right, Baker, one of them said. That one had a terribly sinister smile when he said that. So much so that it remains crystal clear in my memories even after all these years. They taunted and teased me, mocked my background, and groped me, leading as some ghastly build-up to the climax. When the time finally came, the oldest boy, I think his name was Evans, proffered the iron to Blackwood. Even he seemed initially hesitant despite past bravado, but the older boys worked him up and applied pressure until he eventually snatched it from Evans. Slowly, he took it over to the fireplace and bathed it in the hot flames. When he deemed it ready, he took it out and turned to face me, the iron's end facing me. I was quietly terrified. I didn't know what to do for the best. Scream and hope someone cares enough to investigate? It didn't seem likely. If nobody came, no doubt it would just leave my captors enraged, galvanizing their instincts. So I stood silently in their grip, limbs like lead and tears welling up, as Blackwood slowly came up to me. The other boys kept goading him, telling him to hurry up, and before I knew it, the iron was within an inch of me. I couldn't keep it together any longer. I committed a humiliating act. I wet myself. The sound of it trickling onto the hard floor still makes me wince. 
as does the mix of disgusted groans and laughs of the boys. In the back of my mind, I had a distant hope that this might satiate their sadism, might even inspire a nugget of pity in Blackwood. In truth, the obvious camaraderie between bullies seemed only to embolden him. The other boys egged him to brand me, and so, he went back to reheat the iron and then told them to get me ready. They grabbed the sides of my underpants and pulled them down, making exaggerated noises of disgust, and put a pillow against my face whilst Blackwood pressed the searing metal against my bottom. It was the most painful experience of my life. I screamed blue murder, but there was no one to hear it, muffled by the pillow and far away in this remote bottom floor. After that night, my approach was just to shut down, shut down my feelings, my very humanity, in order to survive this torturous prison for children. It wasn't a long-term strategy, though. The universe seemed to be conspiring against me, starting with the moment that I had to start working hard for one of the other older boys from that night, a blonde boy called Kemp. He'd been more of a cheerleader than anything else that night, but just the fact that he was there, that I would have to see his face and kowtow to him, was bad enough. It was a constant reminder chipping away at me. Nowadays, the young people call it triggering. Still, I persisted with my strategy, channeled all of my energies into my studies, with a particular emphasis on history and the sciences, in the hope that I could just tough it out. As it turns out, that was wholly over-optimistic. Once Blackwood found out that I'd work hard for Kemp, he decided I should be the same for him too, even though such a thing was not at all unusual. Such was his growing arrogance. Of course, he had a strong army into doing it, threats and mild physical abuse. In the end, I did it in the hopes of just getting some peace. He had me making him cups of tea, fetching him toast in the mornings, and making his bed, and if I didn't fulfill his requests to the letter, he made sure I paid for it. Little by little, the situation just seemed to get worse and worse. Slowly but surely, I was rolling towards my breaking point. Things came to a head on a summer's day during a big event. Everybody was flocking outside and even parents had been invited along. Not that mine could make it, and I was making my way out when Blackwood and company snatched me and dragged me to one of the science labs. At the front of the room, there was a cubbyhole with a lockable door. They threw me in and locked the door. It was a mean enough move in itself, but I suffered and still do from claustrophobia. I had mentioned this to James some weeks before this, and I'd bet a pound to a penny that they had overheard, and were waiting to pull this stunt on me. I pleaded with them to let me out, banged on the door repeatedly. I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was going to die. For a while, they stayed and treated my suffering like they were listening to an amusing radio show, laughing and joking. But then they stepped it up a notch and just left me. I was in there for three and a half hours. Even that was by the grace of God, for it was chance that Mr. Anderson, the eccentric science teacher, had dropped into the classroom to fetch something. I came out a blubbering, shaking wreck. He tried to offer some comfort, but it's clear in hindsight that he wasn't emotionally equipped to deal with such situations. He was yet another former public school boy like me, emotionally stunted, emotionally clumsy. Still, I appreciated that he had good intentions. It was more than most I'd known at that school. After I'd calmed down and had time to think, I decided enough was enough. Something had to be done about Blackwood. The question was, what? 
I had no martial talent, and I was an outcast as far as most were concerned. I did consider that I might rope in James to help me ambush him one night, but I didn't think it would be fair to drag him into my mess, and there's no guarantee that it would resolve the situation. Then I had a wicked idea. I could doctor his food. I sat on it for about a week before deciding to proceed. I weighed up the risks against all the mental and physical suffering inflicted upon me, as well as that I could suffer in the years to come, and decided it was worth it. Initially, I thought about the chemicals kept in the lab. I knew which ones were dangerous, but none of them seemed suitable. Hydrochloric acid would be del- Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Lightfully nasty, but far too obvious. And there was always a risk that the teacup would be damaged before I'd even delivered it to him. Zinc sulfate? At best, I might give him an upset stomach. No, that wouldn't do. I always knew that this move needed to seal the deal in some way, as once it was done, there was no going back. When I got the opportunity, I went to the lab and raided the chemicals cupboard. To my knowledge, though, there was nothing suitable. Out of the chemicals that could do harm, they were either too obvious or too weak to do any lasting harm. I felt so frustrated. This had been all I could think about ever since I had set my mind to it. I repeatedly enjoyed the mental stimulations of my bully at my feet, begging for mercy. To what now were my ambitions to come? After initially feeling deflated, I steeled myself and set my mind to coming up with something. The great idea came when I saw the gardener about the grounds with a green canister in his hand. I could see from the image on it they were slug pellets. I had a funny vision of myself scattering some and Blackwood scooting across the floor and licking them up. No, I don't think that would work. It did allow me to join the dots, though. The lab wasn't the only place I could find chemicals. I went searching the school for some kind of storehouse, and I found one. A tiny room, big enough for only one or two at a squeeze, full of everything a school might need. I knew exactly what I wanted, though. On a red packet in black print, it said, Rodine. It was rat poison. Now, I knew that this stuff could do serious damage. I had heard about cases of people suffering severely, even dying after ingesting rat poison. Did I want Blackwood dead? Not particularly, but I couldn't have pretended to care either. He had mutilated me, tortured me, and there was nothing resembling breaks on his journey of destruction. He could well kill me if I don't act. 
I slipped the packet into my inside blazer pocket and left the cupboard and got ready to go to my next class. I was certainly on edge for the rest of the day, and as my luck would have it, for the following day too. It was one of those odd days where Blackwood didn't demand my services, so the evening after that, I went off to prepare some tea and toast for him. When the toast was ready, and when I was sure nobody was around, I pulled the rat poison from my pocket and spread a little of the paste onto the toast. Then, to disguise the taste as much as possible, I slathered on butter and jam, put the plate and teacup on a tray, and then made my journey to Blackwood. I avoided thinking about what I was doing the whole way back, but no matter how much I tried to block it out, I could still feel this vague sense of dread lingering behind me. When I eventually found myself standing beside his bed, he told me to set the tray down and to leave, not even looking up from behind his magazine, predictably something called The Ring. I don't know what I expected from the poison, but I did expect it to act quickly. As a matter of fact, though, despite loitering around a good few minutes, there was nothing. I eventually walked off because I'd agreed to meet James by the oak tree, but I couldn't tear my mind away from it. Hour after hour passed, and still, I heard nothing. Come time for bed, I'd begun to comfort myself that, for whatever reason, the poison hadn't worked, and that maybe that was a good thing. The next day followed, and as the hours passed, a feeling of black hope stirred. A sense that something wasn't right with Blackwood. In the afternoon, he passed me without so much as a shove. Odd. I noticed that any time I saw him throughout the day, something seemed off. Not that he ever would have complained. People of the era wouldn't dream of doing so. Especially in a boys' boarding school. No one was expected to suffer in silence. Eventually, day inched towards night. When I was once again asked, forced, to do Blackwood's bidding. I brought him some clean toast and tea, which he took straight away this time. I left the room to go to the toilet, but when I came back, there was quite a stir. Blackwood had thrown up all over the floor. In fact, just as I was joining the crowd to witness the spectacle, I saw Blackwood on the floor on all fours, his hands surrounded by a pool of discharge going to throw up again. It was terribly thrilling. On the one hand, if this was the result of the poison, I feared getting caught. On the other hand, the violent sociopathic thug had been brought to his knees. Pathetic and weak, a helpless victim, my mind slipped away to nasty dreams of what I might have done to him if we'd been alone. One of the other schoolboys dashed off to find someone. A couple of minutes later, he arrived breathless with our housemaster, Mr. Jenkins. An old army type with a no-nonsense attitude and an empty space where his brain should be. He strode over to Blackwood, leaned over and slapped him on the back, saying, Come on, boy, pull yourself together. His reply was an incoherent mumbled, followed up by another round of chunder. Jenkins eventually put two and two together and realized that Blackwood could not simply suck it up and go on as normal. The rapid ringing of a brass bell signaled the arrival of an ambulance, which promptly escorted him away. I didn't hear anything of him until a couple of days later when I was called into the headmaster's office. Blackwood's condition was serious. The doctors had diagnosed him as suffering from phosphorus poisoning. I asked him what was going to happen to him. The head told me that his stomach had been pumped and that he'd been administered potassium permanganate to detoxify the poison. If I'd been the only one called in to see the head, I would have been in a state of utter dread. 
As it was, though, I was just one of many potential witnesses to be interviewed. As it happened, though, the worker situation was mentioned. Someone prior had mentioned that I'd been delivering toast and tea to him on a regular basis. The head probed the situation, clearly trying to skate around the elephant in the room. I don't think he could seriously countenance that such a young lad could be a budding Marianne Cotton. He asked me how well I got on with Blackwood. I told him that although publicly we weren't on the best of terms, in private we enjoyed an amicable and respectful friendship, that my hard work for him was one of a few mutual acts of respect we did for each other. I really played on the stiff upper lip, old boy's nonsense, saying that it was a given he couldn't be openly affectionate. It's just not the way we do things, is it, sir? He was satisfied with my response, but did know that the police had been and took the unfinished toast that was left on the side. He was sure that, even though yellow phosphorus was easily detectable, they wouldn't find a thing. So was I. I think my lucky stars for that fortuitous example of crossed wires. About a week later, after having enjoyed a few days free of him, I would discover there would never be a time again when Blackwood's name wouldn't permeate my life. It was during an assembly that the head had brought him up. He told us that he had died. Liver failure. He had us bow our heads and pray for him. I didn't know how to feel. At that moment, none of it felt real. I bowed my head just as everyone else did, repeated the prayer just as everyone else did, and felt nothing, just as everyone else did. The grace period didn't last very long, though, as just a few short hours later, it struck me during Latin that I had killed someone. It sounds so stupid, doesn't it? Of course, I always knew that my actions had caused his death, but it all been so abstract and distant before. Thinking those words brought it all home. My initial response was subdued panic. I felt like I was being strangled, like death's crushing grip was on my throat, taking payment for the life I had stolen. Then came the rationalization stage, trying to convince myself that it wasn't nearly so cold and callous as the panic would suggest. It was an act of self-defense. He had bullied me ruthlessly. He enjoyed torturing me, physically or otherwise. For some reason, though, nothing seemed adequate. I couldn't decide whether that was sensible or not. After all, his reign of terror over me had been so terrible that he'd physically scarred me. Was that truly not terrible enough? Why? Why did it not feel justified? If things weren't bad enough, my own words had come back to bite me. When Blackwood's parents had come to the school, the head mentioned that on discreet terms, I'd been good friends with him. I guess that moment had gone too smoothly to not come back and bite me. The bite consisted of his forlorn parents in the presence of the head, coming and asking me if I'd like to attend the funeral, perhaps to say a few kind words. I considered breaking down into untamable tears and acting too despondent to consider it, but given what I'd said to the head about stiff upper lip, I guessed it would look suspicious. So, in a terrifically mad moment, I said yes. The head, knowing my background, discreetly asked if I might need some suitable get-up for the occasion. Feebly, I said yes, which he assumed was financial embarrassment, which was nothing but guilt. When the day of the funeral arrived, I found myself feeling very queasy, and in what can only be described as poetic justice, I ended up running to the toilet and throwing up. After I got myself together, I was transported to a modest church with a modest attendance, and when I walked in, there at the far end was his coffin, 
God only knows what stopped me from turning on my heel and bolting out the door. I quickly realized that the only way to survive this mad event without breaking down was to shut my emotions down. I even managed to get set up and stand in front of his family, nervously offering a few kind words about my late friend. It was a sickening and traumatizing experience. I felt like I couldn't have said no to them. I felt like I owed them something, even if their son was a wretched bully. Boys who go to such schools rarely end up as emotionally well-adjusted adults, but I think I must have eclipsed most in the damaged stakes. As I went through my teenage years, I slumped into depression, I left school with unremarkable qualifications, and found a dead-end job. Aside from the occasional flutter of light, I dragged myself through life for many years in that fashion. In the mid-80s, whilst working as a hospital porter, I took a steel wool from the hospital kitchen, went to the toilets, and started scrubbing my skin with it. The noise I made inevitably drew the attention of a young Pakistani doctor, who, with some help, got me out and had me sectioned. I had suffered a mental breakdown. I don't want to talk about the ins and outs of that because it was a horrible time, but I will say that it forced me to reevaluate everything and to be kinder to myself. I've been a work in progress ever since. This is one heck of a story, and a torturous one at that. Because after everything, after even years and decades beyond this experience happening, is there ever a point where OP should be forgiven, or they should be able to allow themselves to be forgiven for, you know, doing what they did and dispatching their bully the way they did? I'd like to know your guys' thoughts in the comments down below. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another revenge story that was way crazier than any of the ones in this video, click on that left video. Or, if you missed my latest video, check out the one on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.